Hi, welcome to another episode of Dawncast. My name is Cathy Ngo. And I'm Di Lee. All Australians have been affected by COVID-19, exerting a huge impact on the economy and our day-to-day lives. But what about international students? Students who have come from abroad to start new lives and opportunities in Australia. But how have they been affected? How are they coping? Has COVID-19 brought their dreams to an infinite halt? To enlighten us, we are joined by two highly esteemed award-winning lecturers, Dr. Yasvia and Dr. Sabrina from La Trobe University all the way in Melbourne. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Firstly, how is the COVID situation in Victoria at the moment and how are you both coping? (laughs) Yes. You guys, we're putting a border. Luckily, we are just. <laughs> but there's yeah, there we're, been we're so in much lockdown. Two point <laughs> Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, so everything's back to working from home. Um, so we're in lockdown till the nineteenth of August for now. Wow. Um, yeah. So everything's back to where we were in lockdown one point Um Kids are back to online schooling and we are madly putting all our resources online, which we were prepared for because we were ex- um, hope we were going to deliver all our content um, online this semester. Um, so in terms of that, we seem a bit prepared. Jasvir, do you agree? <laughs> I do agree. Like in semester one, we had to pause our teaching for a week. Um, So we had to drop our research and whatever we were doing and um, skill up um, on how to teach online. And we we had to be superheroes in in a week (laughs) on how to navigate online teaching. Yeah. And that's something that you've both been doing for quite some time before, isn't it? Because like online tutoring and everything is quite a, a common practice but then now it's kind of like going from heightened yeah yeah like from like I don't know 20 percent to like 110 percent so. yeah you're absolutely right in 2016 at Latrobe especially we were going all out for blended learning whereby we have one hour online um, uh, yeah, students have to review materials online, but they still have to come to class for two-hour class with us. Um, some of them have to come eight to ten hours uh, per week to class to, to the uni. But right now, it's totally hundred percent online. Wow. And um, I don't know about you, Sabrina, but in my classes, um, um, in, in the last class when I asked students. Um, how did you find that the subject uh, this semester? And they were saying that nothing is wrong with the delivery with the subject per se, but we really want to go back to campus life. Yeah, yeah, I def- definitely agree with that. You know, students found it convenient that it was online. They could wake up and just come whenever they wanted to class, and it was quite easy. They don't have to travel, but they really miss the um, the in-person um, context. And learning in person is quite different when you're in class, surrounded with your peers, learning in a in a physical space compared to learning on your bed or in your bedroom. And you have your other family members and younger siblings around, um, you know, it's and they might be on shared devices and, you know, it's a it's a home environment. Um, so they really miss out on that. And they did mention that they would like to be on campus and have that opportunity to engage a bit more, have the feel of a university. So how are the students coping then with the whole now a second lockdown and it's really kind of really locking down, isn't it? 
I guess students got the idea that, you know, because communication was um, provided to them way back in semester one, that semester two, we will be going online, nothing changes. Um, but of course, they were devastated by saying that, why? I'm like, um, we can't answer that. But that's how it is. Um, so they were, um, yeah, not looking back to go online. They were looking back to go back to campus. But in these trying times, we all have to understand it's not in our hands. It's a global pandemic that has hit us. Mm, mm, yeah, I agree. And um, students that I teach, because I, I teach in public health, and so students actually understand what COVID is about. And um, there's been a fair bit of awareness around with the media and with all the other resources and the communication the university has provided. So students have been aware and they are prepared. So the second lockdown, I don't think in terms of their education, it would be a hugely different impact because they've experienced it in semester one. Um, it's just the ongoing issues with, in relation to COVID more broadly that would have a continuing impact, I think. What about international students in particular? Like they're in a new, completely new country. So some of them would be like sharing houses, a house with like maybe 10 other people, something like that. And I mean, it's gonna be such a challenging learning environment. So what, what sort of like, how are they coping or, or perhaps they are quite resilient because of, I don't know how they were brought up back in their kind of home country. Yeah, um, so we've had uh, a variety of different um, experiences that students have told us. So Jasveer and I, we conducted a study where we interviewed our students from a South Asian background. So those from India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, that region. Um, and we found that students who had arrived this year, so those who were starting semester one and came in February 2020, for instance, they struggled slightly more um, in adjusting because they were yet to establish their community connections. Um, they did not have that time to immerse themselves within the university, get to know their peers, get to know the different systems that they have to be involved in. So those students, I think, found it a bit more difficult because COVID happened just a few after, weeks after yeah. they arrived. Yeah. Um, the students who had been here longer or those who had already done a year or done a semester already, they had some established connections with the broader community, with their peers. Um, and you, even in the living arrangements, they had people they could rely on because, you know, the families are back home. Um, but they had managed to establish some sort of connections here as well. And that, that was helpful. Um, also connections broadly within their within the migrant community. So we found that the Sri Lankan and Indian communities, they stepped up and they provided, you know, like food resources or, um, you know, they, they dropped off staple food like flour and sugar and rice and all that for the international students. A lot of religious groups stepped up, churches, gurdwaras, um, they've been supporting the students a fair bit. So there has been community support and students have found that useful. Um, other than that, back home, they have felt that, you know, that parents, some parents back home have lost income or lost their jobs back home. And that's been a bit of a pressure on them that they need to help provide for that. So many students lost their part-time jobs that they were doing here that helps support their day-to-day -day living. Um, 
and they felt bad asking their parents back home to give them some more money and so many have taken on extra loans to support themselves um yeah Jasveer, was there any um, my um, interviews looked at uh, international graduates, um, like what you said, Sabrina, they were here um, longer, so they could adjust themselves. But having said so, um, those who have graduated just recently, like last year, they were having um, issues um, finding jobs related to their studies. So they, they uh, whoever we, um, whoever I interviewed, they had jobs. So I did not interview those who did not have jobs in Australia, but those who have had jobs, they were also struggling, because um, I interviewed two, um, I interviewed twenty international graduates. Where two of them, um, on that day that I was interviewing them, their contract uh, was about to expire. So they were in this limbo whether what do we do? Should we stay here? Should we go back home? The borders are closed. So that, that kind of um, state they were in. How, how did you come to start this study and why, um, why international students? Oh, I was an international student myself, and um, I'm very passionate on, on researching on international students' matters. So um, I have research on their um, academic success. What is academic success looks for them or what is academic success for them? And then um, um, along that journey, I also wanted to um, understand the employability, understand the employment outcomes, and also understand why these um, certain cohort of international students, especially Chinese international students are going back home to China, whereas um, you know, in past years, when I used to ask students, would you stay home um, in Australia or go back home? Um, and they would say that, no, we want to stay in Australia because it's a land of opportunity. But when I started asking them the same question two years ago, and most of the Chinese students would say, I want to go back home to China. So that intrigued me to understand why do they want to go back home? What kind of uh, employment opportunities do they have back home upon studying in Australia? So that was my first research in, in, in the employability space. Then I met Sabrina um, in one of the Latrobe um, ECR. ECR means Earlier Career Researcher events. And, and I know she was uh, researching on South Asian migrants community, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I wanted to marry South Asian international students and employability. And then I, I, I hooked up with her. And this um, Letro um, and um, Metropolitan Manchester University grant came up and both of us applied for that and we got it. And that's how this study um, begun. So Sabrina. Yeah. Sabrina? Yeah, so it's a joint, as just we said, it's a joint project between Manchester Metropolitan, which is based in UK, and so they're exploring similar um, scenarios there in UK, and so we wanted to do an international comparison. Um, my interest has, coming from a migrant background, um, I've always been interested in the migrant's health and migrant adjustment to society and how they live in a, in a foreign world. Um, and coming from a health background, I, just we and I thought that this would be a great combination of our skills and our um, experience and background that we can put together and then explore um, the international student area and 
their experiences as well, but also the graduates who have finished their education and what have the outcomes been for them. And and can I add a little um, um, caption there that we didn't know COVID is going to hit. So we <laughs> ah, way. Yeah. <laughs> no one yeah, did. No. Yeah. It's, it's timely though. We were still interviewing international students and graduates and when COVID hit, we were like, okay, we can tweak a little bit and, and ask their experiences pre-COVID and real-time COVID. We are not post-COVID yet. So we wanted to know what kind of, you know, um, real-time problems they were having in terms of employability and also their experiences per se staying in Australia. So just on that research, what um, is their employability after they graduate? Um, so let's just say, like you were saying, that most of them want to stay in Australia because they feel that they've adjusted to Australia. Um, but I think you, um, you mentioned South, South Asian, isn't it? That's why yes. to stay. Interestingly, not, uh, the, stop. not the Chinese. Yes, you Dai, Dai, you you, oh, you got okay. it right. See, um, Chinese international graduates groups. will want to go okay. back home, yeah. but yeah. South Asian um, uh, graduates would want to stay in Australia. Uh, so there are two different, different cohorts different here. Cohorts. Yeah, mm. yeah. Very interesting findings. Um, so I uh, I interviewed them and by asking why would you want to stay in Australia? First, lifestyle. We like that laid back lifestyle. We like that there's no pollution here. Back home in their countries, such as in, um, I interviewed those who coming from Bangladesh. I interviewed those coming from India. And, and they like that um, very easy going life, lifestyle here where they can make something out of their degree here in Australia as compared to back home. So that's why they really, and then none of them talked about parental pressure. That oh, my parents want want us to be want want me to be here. Not that sort, but mostly I think they are doing it for themselves and for their future. One thing that I have noticed, and I mean I haven't done any research on this, but like the South Indians that I have spoken to, they have so many degrees. And I'm like, I'm so amazed. Like, where do you have the time and plus do all these other jobs as well? Like there's obviously this thirst and hunger for knowledge and um, academia and all that. Mm, mm. Why, why there's also it? a cultural expectation at, at one level where um, coming from a South Asian background myself, it's expected that yes, you will go to university. Yes, you will get a degree. And now it's, you know, even more that you'll get a, a doctorate degree. <laughs> a <laughs> doctorate, a PhD. So, so you've, PhD. Both, you've both um, made your parents happy. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's that cultural background as well um, that um, a lot of South Asians do, especially those from the middle class and and um, those those particular socioeconomic categories, where they try and strive to get more um, education. And you'll be surprised though, when I ask them, what are you doing in this COVID? How are you upskilling yourselves? And they were saying, oh, I've got this free LinkedIn learning thing that I can go into because I'm the, I'm an alumni and I was an international student. So they keep on upskilling themselves um, by via LinkedIn or they, they see YouTube. They, they also do short courses in TAFE. So yeah, you are right. Like you know, I didn't think about that when you when you asked that question. They they just like full on, I would say. So where do you think this uh, this expectation comes from? 
parents, right? Like what? Is it, is it, is it, is it parents, parents only? Is it parents only? Do you think? It's the whole culture, right? Like it's the whole. It's the society pressure as well. There's um, well, if you consider South Asia, there the population is so immense. There's a lot of competition, and in order to get um, jobs that pro- perhaps pay well or are considered um, more um, reputable or you know, more, more um, appreciated in society or in, in South Asian society and education is required for that. And so I think it's the drive from society, it's the drive from parents, it's the drive to show that you're successful as well. Um, yes, yeah, so all these factors that link together. Mm. I'm just curious, does the expectations change once, uh, depending on gender as well, so um, particularly around parenting and, and that sort of expectation like you know that the question of when are you going to get married when are you going to have kids like is there the, the education kind of expectation is it different for genders or what is it like um yes and no <laughs> <laughs> depending on what um background you come from yes uh, boys are given the preference um i can say from an indian context coming from north india from punjabi background yes they are given a preference however it is changing now and girls are, at least in some parts of society, girls are given that opportunity as well where they can attain um, and can have those aspirations as well. Um, yes, it's a changing, evolving situation where you can find cases where um, girls don't, don't get to go to school and have to be employed and, you know, ain't gain money for the family um, but then you can see girls who have achieved a fair bit in society and have reached positions of um, authority and um, influence. Um, I interviewed nine female um, graduates and um, I think there were two or three married graduates but the rest were single. So they, they didn't talk about um, um, marriage as one of their plans and staying back in Australia. So they were more um, inclined talking about what are their career plan in Australia. Mm. Wow. Mm. Um, it, it has changed a lot. Like I finished my PhD after my marriage. I, I actually enrolled in my PhD after I had my first daughter. <laughs> she was eight months old. Um, I've had two children. My husband's been very supportive. The family's been extremely supportive. So yes, you, you have both scenarios where you do it prior to marriage and then after marriage as well. The same with you, isn't it, Yasmin? You've got a family too. I was doing my PhD um, and then I got married a year later and I'm stuck here with him here. <laughs> in, in the same room? <laughs> in the same house, in the same room and everything. Oh. You're stuck for another five weeks. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, so going back to, to your research in terms of the employability of the South Asian um, international students, could you give us a, 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 an insight into that study um, you know, obviously pre-COVID and during COVID now, uh, mm-hmm. what what you have found? Yep. Um, so I can talk from the students' perspective because I interviewed the current students, whereas Jasri looked at those who've graduated and found employment. So pr- prior to COVID, um, the students that I interviewed, they did say that they faced difficulty in finding employment. And it wasn't just employment in a occupation that linked to their degree. So for instance, if they were doing a degree in IT, it wasn't necessary that they were just looking for jobs that were in IT. 
they were looking for any casual jobs. It could be in retail, hospitality, you know, any other sector where they could get some income to support their day-to-day -day living. And many struggled with it. Um, there were barriers such as not knowing how to navigate the system, not knowing where to start, not knowing how to go about doing it. Um, a couple said that they felt they felt that they perceived a bit of racism as well. Um, in group interviews that they did, they felt that they weren't asked enough questions during the interview, that they were neglected a bit. Um, so yes, they did have you know difficulties in getting employment. Um, COVID increase exacerbated those issues because now they can't actually go out. They don't have any connections. They don't they don't know how to go about trying to find these jobs. And those who had jobs actually lost many, many lost their jobs as well. Um, so it has been a bit difficult, quite, quite a bit difficult for them. From the international graduate perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, um, while they were international students, they could find jobs. Um, um, pre, uh, once they come into, um, once they have finished their semester one, they were striving in finding jobs not related to their studies. And they also admitted that was their biggest mistake because upon graduation to get into, let's say, for example, the IT line or the public health line, there's no ex related experiences. So they, they, they are strongly suggesting to um, current international students, future international students, do not just work. Please find work that is relevant to the industry or to the studies that you are doing. Because upon graduating, it is harder to get a job. Because you only, you're on TR for two years. And, and, and make it worse, employers do not understand that they have got full working right visa. So it's very hard for them to get jobs in their um, re relevant um, industry. But having said that, although COVID happens, but there were two or three international graduates got jobs, especially in IT, especially in telehealth. So um, there is a mix of, or should we call it a spectrum, a very gloomy spectrum and a very um, bright spectrum. But many are in the middle where, you know, one of them finished um, their degree in accounting, but he is working as a store manager in Big W. Nothing related to accounting. And he is finding that difficult to, to get a job in accounting profession. So for, sorry, um, so, so for the students that are successful, um, what are they doing differently, do you think? Um, in, in you know to be able to get a job networking 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 it's always yeah, like, yeah it's who you know it's right? who you know isn't it yes yes I they mean are, they are singing that song of who you know not what, what you, you know. know my god like that that mm. old line like it's, it's I think it's it's gone you know, probably back in ancient times. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you know? I'm gonna, you know, give you the yes. food. <laughs> yes. You're a master yeah. networker, Di, so I know that it's um, certainly uh, worked but, out. But having you. said that, they don't know how to network. They don't That's know. That's it. That's another one. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a gap there. There's a very yeah. huge gap there. And, and, and they're yeah, exactly, and they're new. They're new in the country, so they don't have those established connections. They don't have family here who can support them and say, you know, why don't you go chat to them or, you know, have that established base. Um, and so, 
getting to know your own migrant community has been useful for some of them. Um, there's a couple who said that they go to their uh, a local church and they've met people through there um, or through other other community based organizations that are, you know, migrant focused organizations like the Indian Association or other such groups. That's where they have met people and are able to network. And, and then some have done it through platforms like LinkedIn or through the university, they contact through their, their lecturers and might have had a symposium or met people through that. But it's knowing how to do it and, and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to network. Yeah, that's right. I, I think... agree with that, Sabrina. Yeah. Because graduates um, who were, who were uh, international students were saying that um, they were apart from the uh, Latrobe community where they got involved in the society, in the clubs, they career success people um, you know um, and then they attended workshops on how to network so they are doing very well actually mm. and they were in this mentoring program offered by Latrobe um, um, University where they found their internship via that mentors and then it, it snowballed after that but those who did not attend the um, university functions or events they are finding it so difficult yeah. And, you know, they, they don't know what to do. It is a common theme, isn't it? No matter where you go, where you're from, yeah. it's all about who you know. But, yeah. like, I don't know if it's like this in South Indian culture, but I know that in um, Southeast Asian culture, we're always taught, like, um, you know, if you work really hard, people will notice and people will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you want to get a promotion? <laughs> no, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it never works that way. So is it like that also for South um, Asian backgrounds as well? well? There is a culture where you're encouraged to work hard and, you know, you're always told work hard, do your best, keep studying, study, 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 um, and you will, you know, be successful. Um, it's, I guess, it's luck as well whether someone notices it and you are pushed up the ladder, have a promotion, or whether it's someone you know, um, or it's your own initiative that you've pushed yourself forward. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess those international graduates who have got jobs in their field, right, what I notice is they persevere mm -hmm. and they know from day one what they want and how they want to get it. Yeah. So I think they have done their homework and they bug people like hell. You know, some of them are saying that I literally email this lecturer or this person or whatever every week or, you know, just bug them. Hello, I'm here. And I did that too. Oh, and, you did know, that too, Jasmine. Did you? Yeah, I did that. I do that. I love it. Most of the time I get tired. But then that's how it is, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you want to get something, you need to reach out. People are not going to reach out to you. That's, that's, and, and I'm a Malaysian. So in Malaysia, we are taught that exactly what you were saying, that, oh, people will notice if you do your work well. Yeah. But it doesn't happen here. It's like for every 10 no's, you get one yes. Yeah. Use that, use that as a guide. 10 no's, yeah. I think 100 no's and one yes. Oh, <laughs> that's depending. Yeah, the scale. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, so um, in terms of the, the, the crisis of COVID-19, how, how is that impacting the students and the graduate's career, do you think? Did you look into that as well in the study? Yeah. So students, like, you know, the students actually said they have less opportunity for internships and placements because they've been cancelled 
because there's lockdowns and um, a lot of organizations have shut or closed those sort of opportunities. So students are really struggling to get that sort of industry experience that would have been helpful once they graduated to get employment because that's some sort of skill that they can show or experience. Um, that's been one of the biggest factors that they're not able to get that through the course. Although we are striving on trying to get them other opportunities like you know in-house experience within the university if they can't go outside skills that can be transferable from university to outside um so yes it's it's like just what you said it's a spectrum that there is a really gloomy side where things have not worked but then we are trying to create the other opportunities and make it so that students are able to benefit from those opportunities as well and for international graduates, plans are definitely interrupted. Mm. Um, like, you know, they say that it's harder to network where they they really want to have coffee with yeah. uh, prospective employers or employees working in that organization. And they found this one, this person via LinkedIn. So it's very hard to have that face-to-face -face, um, um, meeting. Mm. Um, as what Sabrina said, harder to get internships to those who have just graduated. They want to get um, uh, internship to get their foot in the door, so to speak. Um, contracts might not be renewed due to financial cuts. As I have mentioned, there were several international graduates that I interviewed. That was their last day. But they were very um, optimistic that um, I think... Um, you know, I'll get my, my, my contract renewed, but I didn't follow up with that. I, I don't, I didn't know how to, if they were not extended, their contract was not extended. I, I didn't know how to console them. So I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to, I don't want to um, disturb them. And also um, some of them want to do, and they, they want to do PhD. So it's um, harder to get scholarship um, um, to do their PhD. So yeah, um, definitely plans are interrupted. And you've, I believe you've got figures or you've got some graphs to show the, the impact of COVID um, on, on the international students and the international graduates. Is that right, Yasvi? No, we don't have graph. We have oh. words. Yeah, words. Oh, I thought uh, there's a little note in here that says that there's, there's some, um, there's a... The slides. The slides, yeah. Yes, we do have that, I think, provided to um, Audrey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of navigating the job market then, so if it's if everything else is a challenge, I have no doubt that the job market is completely like... There's also another challenge, like I was just thinking, because we are talking on Zoom as well. Yeah. Like not only getting the interview, well, actually, once they do get the interview, they have to practice online virtual interviews as well which is a completely different skill like there's all these like elements like uh, what uh. your background is noise and yeah it's just another, it's that layer another layer of yeah. challenge definitely and at, at Latrobe um, the we've got a career service which is offered to all students but it's also offered to graduates for up to a year after they graduate they can seek that service and so they help prepare students so if someone is going for a job interview they can help with a practice run with that they help overlook your cv as well and give you feedback on your cv um what to expect in the interview so we do have and I, i'm sure other universities have those sort of services as well where you can help support the students um and better prepare them 
for the market as well. Um, often a lot of the academics are quite helpful too. So if a student approaches an academic, um, we will, you know, give them some guidance on what they can do or how they can best prepare as well. Like in my subject, I do embed employability skills, uh, like inter interviews, and, and one of my subjects, um, there was this assignment that what are their career plans? So they are, uh, they have these reflective um, questions that I provide to them, and they have to answer those. And, and that got them thinking, okay, how am I supposed to navigate my career? But having said that, even the international graduates, what they are doing now is they are updating their CV. And they are also learning how to interview via YouTube. Yes, they have got these career services um, uh, opportunities provided to them, but they are also upgrading themselves uh, via, le via learning um, from YouTube and also how to um, uh, skill up their LinkedIn profile and so on and so forth. So they, they are not stopping that. Yeah, on the note of career services, as you were mentioning before, Sabrina, what do you what do you both think of the career service information and all of this careers advisor advisory roles that are on offered? Do you think they are uh, uh, kind of um, up to date with the skill set that's required or the knowledge of people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds? Because I think these career services, I think they were set up, you know, back in the seventies or whatever. <laughs> Today, we have a different population altogether, and I wonder how much do these career services associations and industry professionals really uh, tune in to the needs mm -hmm. and, and skill set of the, the cold community, if I can put it that way. Do you want yep. to answer it or do you want me to answer Both. You go for it. <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> now, international graduates did mention that, though, that, you know, um, if I want to go back home, um, they don't know how to do my CV. Like, you know, when I interviewed international um, graduates from China, so they didn't go to career services because they couldn't get anything out of um, them. And also um, international um, students, they have to practice their accent, their English accent, where they are not getting help in that perspective. So um, bulk of the job, actually, international students or graduates will have to do on their own rather than depending on career services. Mm. And they also mentioned that when they brought, brought their CV, um, not much help was given on how to navigate or how to, you know, what, what, what kind of information is needed in the CV. Mm. So that was what, uh, uh, you know, my international graduates were talking about. Mm. Mm. I had um, mixed uh, experiences that the students um, faced. So there was a couple who felt they got a lot of support from career services. Some didn't even know it was there, that they had this service available and that they could actually tap into it. Maybe Perhaps those were the more recent arrivals here in Australia who were still not you know, aware about what services are on offer. Um, and in a couple, they said that they wanted more tailored services that were more specific to their needs and not just a generic service. Um, so, for instance, there was one student I interviewed who wanted to update his resume and had provided it to the, to the careers team. And then they gave feedback and gave it back to him. But 
he didn't know how to take action on that feedback and he wanted more one-on-one -on -one sort of consultation on how do I do it? Can someone help me fix it? And he actually said, oh, I found it easier that I'll pay someone 90 bucks and they would do my CV and then they would send it to me rather than I sit down and work through the CV. Um, it is a skill though, because you need to tailor your CV to the jobs that you apply for. You need to know what you include in it, how you address it. And as just we said, in many of our subjects, we have employability, we have placement subjects, but it's at different year levels and different courses. It's not a university wide thing that everyone gets to go through those employability skills or training. Um, so yes, the experiences are very diverse on what the students have faced or, or what they think they need. So, so do you think career services um, and the likes of career organisations offering career uh, advices, is that out of date? Do you think the system has to somehow uh, shift or change to be in line with the, the diversity of population and, and talent that we have in the workforce or potential workforce today? Perhaps, yes, yes. Um, I think I wouldn't call them outdated as such. I think they have tried to progress and try to move with the times and they have tried to reach out to students and say, look, hey, we're here, we can provide you services. Um, there's always room for improvement, definitely. And if we can understand what the specific population needs are, so there's specific pockets of student groups that are missing out or require very tailored information, then yes, uh, there is room for improvement in that context that we can help cater to the needs of that group. I think the missing is how, it's not <laughs> what. Like, how do you do this? Or how do you do X, Y, Z, or E, B, C? Not what you do this. Mm -hmm. So that's how you bridge with the culturally um, diverse um, uh, people, like international students and international graduates. It's like not only giving services that they're going to work in Australia, but worldwide. Mm -hmm. Like they can go to a third country, and then, but they have that how to do it. Perspective. Um, now, why are you keen to share your study? What, what do you hope um, to achieve from this? <laughs> what do we hope to achieve? Well, it's always a better outcome for the graduates they, um, and, and the students. They have invested so much time, so much money, so much of their life, you know, all the energy that's been put into trying to gain an education and then therefore have a better outcome. If we can take a step in that direction where we can help with that, um, what, what they're striving for, have a better, you know, they have a better success. And if they want to stay on in Australia, as Jasbir said before, that many South Asians come here so that they can establish themselves here and become, you know, contributing citizens. How can we help with that? How can we ensure that they have, you know, better outcomes overall in terms of employability, um, uh, you know, life satisfaction as well? What, what can be done, what steps can be done to help improve their entry into the job market as well and what skills do they need for that? And who reads uh, journal articles anyways? So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not us. <laughs> well, we'll take a read. A <laughs> I've got time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is a requirement for us academics, but to reach out, to have an impact, on, on international students or international graduates um, and through Dawn, 
um, that's what we are hoping for that you know they could pick up some tips and tricks that we have discussed um, before and and you know navigate their life and also their employability in Australia in their home country or even in the third country that's what we are hopeful for and networking yes yeah. network yes. everyone oh, network. look that's, that's what we try to do here at dawn to kind of get that <laughs> message out to our very culturally and linguistic diverse communities like you know to just learn to network um because that's such a crucial part in uh getting employment or even not just employment getting promotion or or, or getting somewhere and getting a sense of belonging, like when you network, when you know more people, you feel you belong to the community um, and you, you feel happier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And also I'd like to add also to ask for help as well. I don't think many of us ask for help enough. Yes. So, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you obviously both didn't experience COVID-19, <laughs> you know, during your tertiary years here. Um, so, however, you, you know, did either of you share common experience or obstacles with the students you studied? Like, are there any common experience that you, in terms of obstacles? Um, so I came here in Australia to study my master's and my PhD. So um, during my master's first semester, someone told me that you have to open your mouth very wide. <laughs> you have to ask for help. And you have to... Um, say what you want. Right. And when I and when I did that, I landed up a job as a RA research assistant. Oh. And that paid yeah, and that paid a hell of a lot that time. <laughs> and I could, you know, go out every weekend with my friends and you know, you know, have my whatever Fabulous. meals I want. <laughs> then when I came back here, I took a year break and then when I came back here to do my PhD, I practice that. I open my mouth very wide. What, like I said, physically wide, like that. Very wide. And metaphorically <laughs> as well. <laughs> of course, I didn't get a job within my first year of my PhD study. But I, I was very persistent. I was like, you know, knocking people's doors or emails or whatever. And then, you know, and then I landed up a job as a tutor at Monash. And then it's just snowball after that. Of course, I'm an outlier because I had um, government funding from Malaysia and also from Australia. So I did not experience financial difficulties while when I was an international student here. So that's how I always say that I'm very privileged and I'm very, very, very thankful to what that I have had. But yes, along that journey, I had my employment difficulties as well. So, but that one advice that I got during my master's, that is to network and open your wide mouth and as wide <laughs> as you can. And, and that's what I told my friend who came here to do her master's. And I was proven right. She got a job. I said, there you go. Sabrina, what was the advice to you? <laughs> um, similar to Jasmine, you know, persistence, persistence was a big thing. Um, I came here when I was 17. Um, but the difference was my family actually migrated, even though they came after me. So that we had got the permanent residency and then I came first just because university was starting. So I came for my undergrad. Um, finding the first job was probably the hardest thing. Um, I started off as a restaurant kitchen hand at $6 an hour. And, you know, they started there, worked there for a couple of months and then, you know, moved on to retail. 
um, where I worked throughout my undergrad. So I stayed in the retail position at that um, when I was studying. Um, so like Jasmine, I didn't really have financial um, issues as much because my parents supported me. I didn't have to worry about how many hours I was doing because I was on a permanent you know, visa. However, I married an international student who oh. was from India and he was doing his um, MBA, his master's of business administration when I met him here. And he really, you know, used to work um, really hard, you know, trying to pay his rent, trying to pay all those things and then trying to um, establish his networks as well and meet people and get the first job. First job is always the hardest. And then, you know, the expectation is like, I've done a master's. Why do I have to start as a bank teller? You know, and it's understanding that, but then working your way up, which is a, it's a different system here compared to overseas. Um, and how you work your way up the ladder as well is quite different here. And how was, I mean, the advice was to <laughs> open your mouth <laughs> wide. Was there any, <laughs> any very good advice that was given to you? Because other than being persistent, how do you get that first job? You know, how do you get that foot in the door in that first paid job? It's really. I, I think it was wow. just just keeping your eyes open, just keep looking, keep applying, keep trying, keep persisting. Talk to people as much as you can. Um, communicate within your um, if you're comfortable within your community group, within your migrant group. So if you belong to an Indian community, network with people within that group, and then and then then go beyond. Um, so yeah, it's about. Opening your mouth, as Jasmine said, <laughs> talking to people, getting to know people and talking in the sense that you're connecting online as well. So, you know, you might find someone on LinkedIn. You don't just send them a LinkedIn request. You say, hey, I really liked your profile. I really like the where you've got up to and what skills you've got. Can you give me any advice on how you've got there? How, what steps can I take to improve my career? And just creating the dialogue, trying to, you know, don't just say, yeah, I'd like to connect with you. Say something else, you know. And is that the advice Is that the advice you give to your international students, the, the advice you give to them? Yeah, and probably even the domestic students. I, I you know, the, many are young, you know, many come from rural backgrounds in, within Australia as well. So it's about talking to people. We're, we're social beings. Humans are social beings. We need to connect. Um, and if you have a common ground or common place, you can connect better. And that's right. Yeah. I, I understand that, you know, for international students to open their mouth very wide is difficult. I had that problem. I really had that problem. Mm. Um, but I just had to come out from that shell. Yeah. And, and like what Sabrina was saying that, you know, I'm looking for X, Y, Z, uh, X, Y, Z job. Um, do you have any? And I just went to the professor. It was a professor. I'm like, okay, um, he looks nice. So let's, you know, to, and I and I want to do do my PhD. So, and I, and I talked to, to him about my PhD. And then I didn't know that I had to do several research methods, papers before I can get into my PhD program. And luckily I opened my mouth. <laughs> I will be like, oh yeah, in La La Land. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna do my PhD because that was what the scholarship was all about, master's and PhD. So mm. that, it's very hard. I understand that. But you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And last year, um, I was I in I got involved in the alumni conference at Monash, and I presented in a in a workshop on how to network, where to network, mm -hmm. um, what is your locus of control. So we had that all of that um, um, 
practices or activities in that workshop. And, and, and that was a very um, hot take, I would say, um, because international students do not know how to network or how, how wide should you open your mouth or how <laughs> just write and, and all of that, yeah. Yeah. The, don't let the flies in. <laughs> <laughs> the outback, especially. Yeah. The Australian talk with the yeah. things like that. Um, yeah. So what's next? What's next for both of you? So we, we do have a few ideas in the a, in a pipeline. We were, since we've got the perceptions of international students and um, graduates, we were thinking of perhaps um, talking to the academics, but also talking to the local students, the domestic students on how they interact with international students. What do they gain and how can um, they benefit as well? And how can we increase the relationship between both domestic and international students? So it's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship for the two. Because what we found is like, you know, you can see international students in one cohort, domestic students on the other cohort. Yeah, So absolutely. we want to study how, um, how can we bring them together? Yeah. Why are they not integrating? See, inter um, international students have been coming to Australia for two decades now, if I would say, since 1980s. Of course, it, it, it went viral in last 10 years, but why are they still have, why do we still have these two distinct cohort? So we want to talk about or we want to explore um, why that happens mm. and then how that can trickle in their everyday life as students and then how that can have that opportunity in their employability on their employment. So yeah, we want to embark on that project. And, and we're a diverse community here in Australia. So if we are more open and more inclusive and how we are able to do that for the international students as well, many of who then go on to become Australian citizens later as well. And one more thing, because government is pushing or attracting international students and graduates in the regions, we also want to look into um, why regions, or what are the problems for these international students and graduates in the regions? and how are they mapping their employability. So that will be also our next um, project. Well, it doesn't sound like you're going to move out of academia anytime soon. <laughs> you're not going to branch out out of... <laughs> if we are not kicked out, then yeah. <laughs> you're stuck, literally. <laughs> well, we thank you. With each other, huh, Sabrina? Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much both doctors for coming on the show today. We really, really enjoyed the conversation about international students. Absolutely. Um, and um, thank you. So guys, that was um, Dr. Sabrina and Dr. Jasfit. Thank you so much for watching Dawncast. My name is Kathy Ngo. I'm Dai Lee. Um, make sure you subscribe to our channel. Just click on the bell. Uh, yep. That way you get notified of our upcoming stories and programs that we broadcast. Yeah, And if you've got a story to share as well, please let us know. Get in touch with us so that we can shed a light on your story as well. Thank you for watching, everyone. Bye. <laughs> I think we need like a little drum set. Yeah, we do. <laughs> maybe like sticks just to kind of like... Guitar. Oh, there's a ukulele over there. <laughs> there you go.